you know, I've, I've played games where they don't cross the quarter line of the board because I, I don't let them. And if they've taken claim jump and they never get to the center, that's real hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's very board dependent. But, you know, if, if you see claim jump in the pool and you're like, I know I can deny that, that's a great Euripides pool. We have ourselves yet another Malifaux deep dive, this time into the savage keyword and Euripides. My guests walk us through everything you need to know about how to run this crew. What models do they bring in their core crew? What schemes and strategies do they excel in? What are schemes you love your opponent to pick? And how do you counter this crew? I've argued that savage is one of the underrated keywords out there. In the right hands, this crew can be devastating. So sit back, relax, Let's talk about Euripides and the Savage Crew. Third Floor Wars delivers interviews, insights, and discussions about everything hitting the tabletop. Rule books, plastic models, dice, and cards in hand. Let the gaming begin. Tabletop games let you escape and unleash grand battles and regale epic tales of adventure with your friends. If you love gaming and learning from players, designers, experts, and creators, you are in the right place. Pull up a chair. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk Podcast. Howdy, friends. Craig here. Welcome to another Malifaux Deep Dive. We're looking at the Neverborn Master, Euripides, and his savage crew. Our guests today are Ambrose Ingram and Lewis Phillips. Ambrose, welcome back to the third floor, man. Thank you. I'm stoked to be back. It's been a little while. Yeah. Like, uh, I think um, it was maybe pre-pandemic that we last talked. Oh, easily. (laughs) Yeah, easily, easily. So um, I know you've been playing Malifaux, but uh, what else have you been uh, doing gaming-wise? Um, so Malifaux takes up a bunch. Um, I've been working with the committee that's running the, the World Series games on Vassal. So that's nice. You know, there's a lot of organization that goes into that, even if I'm not TOing. Um, but other than that, uh, role playing games have been filling up a lot of time. I, uh, I started running a Blades in the Dark game right around the same time you did. Yeah. And it's just it's such a dope it's so good. Like system, the, the system and the and the game mesh together to give you this awesome experience. I don't think I've I don't think I've read an RPG book or played a game that's been so entwined like mechanics and lore and everything. And it just it runs like silk. Yeah, I mean, everybody who listens knows I'm a John Harper fanboy. Yeah. Um, but it, um, it it's it's just super clever. It just it's it's a, and, it, and it it found a zeitgeist that you know just everything came together. You know the 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 table was set by the bakers, was powered by the apocalypse, and then John just took that and tweaked it enough that it's not powered by the apocalypse anymore. It's its own thing. Um, but it's really captured that you know mechanics that that facilitate the story. Totally. Um, and it, uh, it no, it totally works. And it's changed how I run games. Um, oh, yeah. There's there's things that I learned running blades that have changed how I run Star Wars or, you know, anything else that I run. So um, uh, when you introduced it to the players, uh, what was their reaction? I uh, I pitched it based on kind of how the, the guidelines in the book said to do it. Right. I, I gave them the setting first and said, does this sound sweet? And obviously they were like, 
hell yeah, that sounds sweet as hell. <laughs> and um, and then we just jumped in, right? Like the, the character creation is all playbook style. So you just give them the options, like talk about the world. And that's all it really took. And, and, and it sets it up as a conversation so well that you're able to have a conversation about how the mechanics work as you run the game. And that that's that's part of running the game, this conversation of setting up your position and what your effect is. It it just makes sure that the game gets learned as you play it. Um, I, I think it's actually one of the easiest role-playing games that I've taught. I, I agree. And it, and it a lot of games promise this and few deliver. Like, you can sit down and you can teach them nothing mechanically. Um, you can hand someone a pre-gen or even help them build their character or they can do it on their own because it's not rocket science. And you literally can say, okay, now here's, here's our situation. Here's how the mechanics work. That takes all of two minutes to explain. Um, what do you want to do? Um, but until we get to those stopping points, just tell me what you want to do. Um, and we'll figure it out. So, um, cool. So I'm glad we have an episode about blades in the dark going today. Maybe we should talk about Savage a little bit here. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's, let's shift over to, uh, to Lewis. How are you, my friend? Welcome to the third floor. Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be on. I appreciate it, man. Now, I've heard you on other pods, but this is the first time you've been on uh, Tabletop Talk. So I need to ask the obligatory, how did you find out about Tabletop Gaming? Um, just, this, I think, the same way quite a lot of people get into the, the hobby. I was a, in my teens and found Games Workshop. And then we had a guy open a local game store that wasn't a Games Workshop store here. <laughs> and then he just opened all of our eyes to different systems and... I was one of the first in the Scottish meta of my friend group to pick up Malifaux, and that started with second edition Jacob Lynch. Nice. And deciding that that was a great start point, went straight into Pandora after it. And from there, Malifaux just grew as like my true love of a war game. I think it does everything it needs to, so... Well, so coming from GW, I mean, I've had this conversation with a lot of people, but it's always a little bit different. Um, what were the things, Lewis, that made you just go, holy crap, um, in that transition that made you realize that Malifaux was going to be your game? Uh, cards, not dice. Truthfully, yeah, cards, not dice. Um, like, I understand, and I'll like if you ever see any of the UK chats, I'm the first one to be like, these vassal decks are wrecked, rigged through the pandemic. <laughs> but, like, there's just something of, like, being able to mitigate the RNG from yeah. a card flip with the hand and that sort of thing over just, oh, look, I threw all these dice and none of them landed the way I wanted to. So right now, just remove my toys from the table for me, please. At least yeah. at least with Malifaux, like, bar bad situations, I've got a way to mitigate what's happening to my plastic, and that's fine. I prefer well, that. Well, it's another layer of agency, right? Yeah. Um, and if you are playing to test yourself, it gives you another place to test yourself, another layer to to dig into the game and to think about in the game. Um, so I completely get that. So I'd be curious, though. So you talk about Warhammer, you talk about uh, Malifaux. Is there any other mini games that you've tried and maybe ones that you still like? Um, I have a Minions Army for Hordes because nice. a walking wall of crocodiles is just everything aesthetically that I want. And I had Guild Ball until Steamforge killed it. Yep. And I've been trying to 
I keep buying Malifaux stuff and I've got a big pile of shame and it's like, oh, but look at this shiny and now Marvis, Marvel Pri- Crisis Protocol has dropped and I'm just like, oh, no. Like, I, lo- I love Spider-Man and it's like, oh, well, I can, I can just pick up Spider-Man stuff, right? And then... No. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and then it's, uh, but then like I'm, I'm heavy into like the fin- the Fantasy Flight LCGs and the and like role playing games as well. So it's like, my wife will kill me if I pick another uh, hobby game up. But See, that's why you got to get a third floor, man. You just hide it from her, like I do. <laughs> I just just recently finished building a shed in the garden. So there you go. Yeah. That'll start. So what uh, what LCGs are you digging, Lewis? Uh, so Marvel Champions. Um, Good and game. I loved the before they ended it. I had pretty much all of the a Game of Thrones nice. LCG. Uh, still love that as a game. And I always I, heard it was good. Never played it. Really good. It was a good game to learn how to balance um, economies in a game, sort of like your resources. And then I played L5R, and that recently got killed. But I, L5R, there was just too much to keep up with for me as a new game. It was they did the the six packs in six weeks thing, and I was just like, this yep. is not sustainable for me. Like, and I sort of dropped out of it at that. So then moved into sort of um, time more of my time up, uh, like yourselves, with uh, RP games. So, uh, so that's the next question, Lewis. What are you playing in, in as far as RPGs? Um, so I'm the dafty that volunteers to DM everything um, in our, <laughs> in our group. So I've got a group that I run a 5e D&D for because none of them had tried D&D bar one of them, so it was worth trying. And I also, the same group has one extra player that doesn't play D&D. I run a Through the Breach. Oh, Nice campaign for as well um but we we modified through the breach a little bit because everybody was like we're enjoying this and i was like yeah the episodic like 10 session thing was great but it was like what would happen if we treated these characters like D characters and just carried mm-hmm. the campaign on and it's led us to some great situations and the one standout, and I'll just quickly rant about it, is they didn't believe me that the Malasaurus Rex was a weird official thing, and we, we did the one shot where it introduces the Malasaurus Rex, and they were just like, oh, that was really good, um, that was fun to play, that sort of thing, and it was literally like, we finished it, and then like, I think it was like three or four days later, Weird dropped the Malasaurus Rex preview at Gen Con, nice. and they were like, we thought you made that up. And I was like, nah, man, that's a real thing. And it's a model now, so. Oh, that's funny. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, it's not, Through the Breach isn't too hard to hack. Um, it, um, the, the, the one challenge is that I, that I have with it, because I haven't run it yet, and I will. I like it. I think mm-hmm. it's a good system. Um, it's so different in a lot of ways that it can be a little tough, um, both for a GM and for the players. But that's, that shouldn't stop you. Because that's hackable. You don't, just like anything, you don't have to do all of it, right? You can do parts of it and, and it's, it's definitely do it. Lord knows the world is cool. So Yeah, I mean, the way I did it was, um, I mean, all my guys that I have in my group are part of like what I ca- call the like core tournament scene around my, uh, like my meta anyway. So they're all 
they're, they're all got the advantage by one of them of having background knowledge on Malifaux. It's huge. Yeah. But we, the way I did it was I didn't bog them down with every single mechanic straight away. We started off with, like, this is how you do combat for instance and then like in the next session where we had more combat that's where i introduced like the fate master characters having triggers based on their cards and that sort of thing so i i did it in a way that was like i'm not going to overload you with information as your characters get used to this world you're going to find out that i'm going to start using mechanics that then toughen the world up around you sort of thing smart that's very very smart so guys, the Malifaux Deep Dives allow me to talk to players well-versed in playing certain masters and keywords. We're going to learn the basics as well as the advanced strategies, along with the key crew picks and which pools the Savage keyword does well in. By the end, I hope that we are going to get a sense of not only how to run a Savage keyword, but we're also going to learn how to counter them. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about the master, Euripides and his totem. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian. I started listening to Third Floor Wars for information and insight about my favorite miniatures game, Malifaux. But I also get great interviews with game writers, designers, and artists, as well as some fantastic role-playing sessions with some really great players. I've been supporting them on Patreon for a year and a half so far, and it has been well worth it. Right now is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content you're already getting for free. They'll go on and explain that by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we commit to not interrupting your episode of Tabletop Talk with such a plea. We pledge not to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month. Even if there's a link in this show's description, and there is, we won't ask you to click it and become a patron. We won't spend time yammering about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting those episodes without ad breaks, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, enjoy this episode. We needed to clarify that we wouldn't do this type of solicitation. Time to give a quick shout out to our most recent patrons. A big thanks goes out to John Mahoney, Philip Masca, Joshua Edwards, Clay Pierce, Peter Sojanek, King Salt Nathan, Jimmy CZ, Wayne Peacock, Oliver Borden, Zachary Wills, Jay Douglas Nielsen, Patrick Healy, Ham Dog, Greg Packman, Eric Conrad, Alan Cardinal, Raven Zato, and Philip Savoy. Because of you and the 100 other plus patrons, I'm able to put out content on a regular basis. We appreciate you. So before we started recording, uh, Lewis Ambrose and I were talking and uh, I was uh, mentioning that um, I called Euripides as a good master pretty early as soon as he came out. Um, and, and I still see people saying that, um, you know, he's not very good. Uh, I still disagree with them. I still think Euripides is an excellent master in, 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 in the power curve conversation. But. I think what's causing that conversation to happen is he's not the easiest master and keyword 
um, to do it. He's not plug and play. So let's start off, uh, Ambrose, um, with somebody who knows nothing about Euripides. So can you give us kind of a, a high level understanding of the style of uh, this master? Yeah. I, so at its at his like most basic, just looking at stats and, and attacks and stuff, he's big. Um, he's got a three, four, six damage track on his on his melee attack, so he can get in there and he can punch really hard. Um, he has intuition, um, so he can set up some really really nasty attacks when he's you know charging in or something like that. Let's talk about intuition real quick. If somebody yeah. is not clear on that mechanic, so when you start his activation, um, you look at the top three cards of your deck, and then you can put them back in any order. And, uh, you know, it's, I think in Euripides, a lot of times you're fishing for, honestly, you're fishing for that red joker. Um, we'll talk about Thune later, but Thune has intuition as well. Um, and with, with two intuition models in the deck, um, and your ability to control what cards you're flipping with, um, the old ways, uh, you, you really are trying to, to get to a spot where Euripides comes in and hits for severe without costing you cards in hand. Um, For my Rezzer players out there, imagine having a Whisper stapled to the car. I mean, stapled to it. We all know how good Whisper is for Rezzers. Uh, Euripides and Thune have it. Um, and that's not the only deck manipulation on there. So can we talk about the old ways? Absolutely. So old ways, um, whenever you're flipping a duel, if it's a straight flip, you can take a point of damage and use the top card of your discard pile instead. It's so good. It's it's amazing. I mean, it's... if. I think that people who pick Euripides up for the first time and they, they go through and they're using old ways a bunch and they see their models melting down in front of them. Um, but really, this this is take a point of damage to flip a severe. Take a point of damage to not flip the Black Joker. Um, take a point of damage to pass a, a simple duel. Um, yeah. That's that's worth it. That's huge value. Um, and this is on almost everything in the crew. Um, so this is probably the most fundamental keyword ability for Euripides. I know like ice pillars are a big part of it, but right. ice pillars are are honestly um, an incidental strength. And the way that you're winning games is is through the old ways. And we're going to talk about it a ton. <laughs> yeah. So Lewis, I'd be curious. I, I, I feel like um, the key to the old ways is knowing when not to use it. Do you think that's accurate? Definitely. Um, but at the same time, I... I can I use it as much as I can. Um, I try to ensure that if there's a risk of me failing something, I'm not going to fail it because right. the, the stronger my deck is. So if something only needs like um, the primordial magic, it only needs a five to turn one of my models incorporeal. If I'm sitting with a five and I've not seen my black joker, that incorporeal could affect my entire turn because. The whole crew is on, like, the majority of the crew is on a 50 mil base. And in some deployment types, that's not ideal. So if I can take a point of damage on my totem to then turn my master incorporeal, so he's not going to be slowed down, or the foon incorporeal, so he's not going to be slowed down by terrain, I'm, I'm going to take that point of damage because you're negating some of the RNG of the game by seeing what you're going to flip yeah. rather than... Um, and just quickly while we're on the old ways, I do think that the gaining grounds change to distract and focus actually makes it better. 
because it was it wasn't entirely clear before whether they did cancel each other out or if you just had a positive and a minus to fate modifier. Now they just straight out cancel, so there's no arguments about it. You can use it as long as there's no fate modifier. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things that I'd heard being talked about is that you know that that there's it's a little focus is a little too good. Um, and, and I thought that those were legitimate conversations. I don't think that focus was like breaking the game. Um, but this one small tweak did two things. One, it brought focus back under control again, but more importantly, it helped with distracted because Mm -hmm. there were so many models and crews that depended on distracted that just weren't seeing the table. And with one small tweak, both things were taken. Um, I did, uh, people that, uh, listen to my little uh, bonus episode that I dropped right when Gaining Grounds 2 came out. This is a perfect example of what I was talking about when I when I put out that episode, which is it's going to take time for us to really see what the impact is, because it's not it's not apparent. Um, the first time you read it, you read about the changes distracting, you're like, OK, no big deal. Um, and then trust me, next time you play against Colette or next time you play against Seamus and you and you see distracted now you're gonna be like holy shit like it's (laughs) totally different um and you just can't read that off of it so lewis um for someone listening um what style uh, would someone want or enjoy in order to enjoy euripides so what what kind of style player would get would get this um i think he's definitely because of his ice pillar play a he can control the board so if you if you like to control your opponent's movement and that sort of thing you're gonna get um a lot of fun out of Euripides, but also if you just like big meaty boys that hit like trucks, you you're getting a crew of them. Like nothing yeah. in the crew doesn't hit like a freight train, and it's all decently stat statted as well. Mm-hmm. And the crew is more expensive because of it, but it definitely makes up for it in the way it can slap models about. I was gonna say which the old ways plays into because. There's less mitigation because you've got you tend to have less models as a Euripides player because they all hit a bit harder and they all cost a bit more. So you can use the old ways to then mitigate the lack of sometimes what can be options for you by just being like, well, I'll just use that 12. Well, and and something else that's kind of a second layer, and this applies to any elite crew, um, and it's something I don't hear people talk about, is that is... How do I put it? The deck can be swingy on a small crew. And the reason is, is you're not seeing your whole deck and you're not seeing your whole deck from an offensive standpoint and a defensive standpoint. And it's why with an elite crew, uh, any type of card manipulation is a big deal. Um, You know, if I'm running a large crew, I'm going to see my whole deck just by the nature of the fact that I've got a ton of models and they're going to get attacked and they're going to attack. I'm going to flip a shipload of cards. But with Euripides crew, um, I could do a whole turn and only see, you know, half my deck. And depending on how things shuffle, that could have a huge impact. Uh, so I completely agree with you, Lewis. Ambrose, let's talk about defensive tech. What, uh, what's keeping Euripides from uh, melting? Um, <clears throat> hit points. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's, he's got 14, um, and, and he could go down. Um, he's, he's big, and he's, he's a, a tank, um, but... Um, he definitely is susceptible to getting focused down. Um, he does have hard to kill, which is another thing that um, is going to carry through a lot of the keyword. Um, and I, I think that when you do start talking about the, the ice pillar play, and as, as Lewis said, right, like you can control the movement and, and all of that. Um, 
controlling where your opponents go on the board. Your goal is to make them waste far more actions than than they need to to accomplish their goals. And and putting an ice pillar in the way is part of that. Hard to kill is part of that, right? This you can you can have a cyclops that's defense four and seven hit points, and I don't care who you are, you're taking at least two actions to kill that model. Yeah, and, and impacting that uh, action economy of your opponent, um, it can be absolutely huge. And we'll get into it when we talk about the crew, but there's some wonderful action economy uh, within the crew as well. So that becomes a double whammy. So now that we've got a, you know, a better sense of Euripides and really got a feel for it, I think that you know, sometimes when I, when I do these deep dives, I like to spend a lot of time talking about the master, but he's a context master. Uh, so let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk about him in the context of the crew. So we're going to find out how Lewis and Ambrose like to build uh, a savage crew. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There are so many online retailers. It can be hard to find one that is trustworthy, has great prices, along with some reliable customer service. On the third floor, we love ordering our gaming goodies from Gadzooks Gaming. Their selection of terrain, miniatures, dice, custom decor, and conversion bits are curated for gamers by gamers. You'll find they have what you need and what you didn't know you needed take your gaming fun to the next level. If you mention Third Floor Wars in the cart notes of your order, you'll also get a free gift and you'll help support the podcast. Check out gadzooksgaming.com and mention Third Floor Wars on checkout to get that free gift. So obviously when we're, you know, sitting down and we've declared Savage and we're going to bring you Euripides, the, the first thing we, of course, we're going to hire is, is the totem. So can we talk about Primordial real quick? Yeah, so the, the Primordial is a great carryover from second edition. And I mean, it's it brings Arcane Reservoir to the crew. That's its most important thing. It's It's got lo- low stats. It's defense for willpower for free wounds. But like most of the Neverborn totems, it's significant. And the amount of times you can be halfway through a game and like you just go to yourself, you, you, you set it up and lay a scheme marker and your opponent's like, oh, is it is it significant? And you're like, yeah, it, it really is. And it often for me, it just it spends its game turning my mo- It can turn one model a turn, one savage model a turn incorporeal off its bonus action. Uh, for a five, as I said earlier, and for me, it just usually 
walks behind either the Foon or Euripides, whoever's likely to be in the fight, turning them incorporeal, giving them extra defenses that way. But it also has an eight-inch remove scheme markers. The remove scheme markers isn't built in, but it's an eight-inch tactical that can remove uh, scrap scheme and corpse markers next to an ice pillar that also deals one damage to all non-savage models. So if your opponent doesn't know that's coming and they set up, say, a research mission or a, uh, the new one, Deathbeds, you just go, and now they're gone. And and it's worth saving the card for. Oh, 100%. It's even better if you've got it on top of your deck, on top yep. of your discard pile, because then for a wound, why would you not remove the enemy scheme markers and deal them a point of damage? So after we bring the Primordial in, Lewis, what is, what is your first hire? Uh my first hire is always um, a Cyclops. I know that a lot of people think they can be subpar, but a Cyclops for me is the first thing you hire. It brings ranged scheme marker dropping, ranged healing, ranged uh, unresisted damage, can hang, hand out staggered all off the same bonus action. You have to pick one, but that's fine. And its ice pillar creation is a further range than Euripides. So you can sort of set it up from the backfield and keep your model, your defense four model safe. Um, and often I will attach ancient pack to it because it is a minion. So create an ice pillar, draw a card at the end of activation and everything else on it is on ancient pact is gravy, but drawing the card is, that's a big deal and a big deal. And it ties into what we were talking about, about how important getting access to the deck is uh, for Euripides. So I'd be curious, Lewis, I mean, because uh, I've heard people kind of, you know, uh, lay dirt on on Cyclops. What do you think people that don't like the Cyclops or think they're overpriced are missing? So the, the one argument you often see against the Cyclops is for a similar cost, two changelings can copy Euripides's uh, ice pillar creation and you get more ice pillars. The problem with that is changelings are four wounds and don't have hard to kill. And they can't manipulate my deck the same way that a Cyclops can. If I can use the tome from my discard pile, I guarantee an ice pillar that's further than the ones the changelings can lay. Not only that, is if it gets into a fight, unlike the changelings, it's still got a three, four, five damage track with a grit ability to gain positives if it's below half wounds. Well, and it's savage, and there's benefits to being savage in a savage crew, so I completely get that. How about you, Ambrose? Uh, do you ever run your Euripides without a Cyclops? I probably have, but that was a mistake. <laughs> and regret yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You, you need one um, for, for all the reasons that, that Lewis said. Um, we should talk about Frozen Vigor, too, before we get too far into the, the minions. Um, so that's Euripides himself doesn't have it, but when a model ends within two inches of an ice pillar, um, you're going to get shielded and heal one. Um, so this synergizes with, you know, with the old ways. If you're if you're doing old ways next to ice pillars and you're in your turn there, like you're getting that benefit for free. It synergizes with hard to kill because um, you get so many times, right? Like that's a defense for Cyclops. Someone comes in, they don't get it because I you know, manipulate the top of my discard pile to put them on negatives the entire time. They get it down to one wound. I activate the Cyclops. Now it's back up to two with the shielded. 
and and it survives the game, right? Like it, it's surprisingly hard to put down. You could do it, right? Like don't get me wrong, the person who knows how to get around it, it, it it's a killable model. Um, but if the point of the game is to make people waste activations on killing your models, the defense doesn't matter. You can still force those actions. Well, and it's, it's again, hitting that economy, right? And forcing that economy to your, to your point earlier, Ambrose. So after a Cyclops, is it, uh, are we going right to Thune? Yeah. Who's next then? (laughs) (laughs) Thune, then the damned. Oh, okay. Well, I want let's hold off on Thune. I want to hear about the damned. Um, so I will hold my hands up. I was one of the players that until the Explorer Society released, I had Serena in my crew, right? I, I was that one of them players. I had Serena. For the reasons we were just talking about Frozen Vigor, she could heal my models back up over their hard to kill, and I could pl- survive fights I probably shouldn't have, in all fairness. Then a Savage model dropped that doesn't heal the same way as Serena, but in my opinion, heals better. Right. For this crew. Than Serena. For this crew. Right. Yes. Um, so the damned has uh, tossed the scrap so that if he kills a model with a melee action, a friendly model within six or a six can heal too. Now, that's massive because everything in the Savage crew bar, like, two models is height three or more. Mm -hmm. So those auras are very rarely getting blocked. And as I say, it could put a Cyclops that's on its hard to kill back above hard to kill if it's within six of the damned. And whereas Serena was only, like, I think Serena is three inches. So she has to put herself in danger there to... Or go over and heal it. But not only that, that then triggers the dam's other cool ability, which is Chronicle. Um, when a model, once per activation, when a model would heal, all models, enemy models within one of it, take one damage. So it basically gives like the Savage crew, gives the Savage crew like a black blood splash. And that to me is amazing because it's like, I'm going to hit you like a freight train. And then if I kill you, I'm going to damage your friends over there that are holding up my support piece or my... I mean, because Euripides and the Foon can, because they're on a 50 mil base, can find themselves in a fight with two or three models at a time trying to take them out. So splashing extra points of damage out everywhere is just fantastic. And it's a it's got a suited leap, which is rare in the game now. Yeah, very especially since gaining grounds. Yeah, um, so it it gives you a scheme runner that isn't a bull tongan that is maybe on the squishy side. So how about you, Ambrose? Are you on the damn train? Yeah, yep, definitely. Um, I think uh, I don't necessarily bring it every time, but at this point, when I bring Euripides, I do want a mo- I, I want that mobility. Um, Euripides himself and the gigants have pseudo lit leaps through their shattering surprise trigger um and so with the damned um and euripides able to cross the board you could just go from one flank to the other um that's the reason i'm bringing this crew a lot of times i think their ability to reposition your key pieces as a group is very very high even in a fairly mobile faction yeah, no, I agree. So we 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 keep dodging him because uh, he's he's the boogeyman. But uh, Ambrose, talk to me about Thune. 
Why do people hate Thune? Not the people that play Thune. Why do the people playing against Thune hate him so much? Um, so it's, it's his frozen trophy, right? And um, it's a tome on his melee attack um, that you create an ice pillar adjacent to the model you, you hit, you bury the model you hit, and then um, that model doesn't come back until that ice pillar is broken. It's, it's a frozen trophy, right? You've entombed something in ice. Um, and that's that can be a huge that can win games if you get the right frozen trophy off you might have just won um, and um, you combine that with one of Euripides' tactical actions which is glacial shove um, that then pushes an ice pillar ten inches um, so the the key play that people are afraid of is soon coming in frozen trophying your beater or your master and then Euripides you know, coming in at the start of the next turn um, before you have a chance to activate and you push that ice pillar 10 inches into your deployment zone. And now they can't, um, they can't, uh, they can't use that model. They have to overextend to get it out or they're losing so much AP over the course of the game. Um, I think that Thune pays a price for that trigger. Um, he's mm-hmm. nine, nine stones, right? Yeah, he's expensive. Yeah. Um, he's nine stones. He's only two AP. Um, he is defense six and he has move six. So especially when combined with primordial magic, you know he can get around the board, and he's hard to put down. Um, he's got the frozen vigor. He's got the hard to kill. Um, but his he's not min three, and he's a he's a min two. Um, he has some other good triggers on there, and he has some ability to manipulate ice pillars as well um, so when he starts his activation he can push one four inches um, he also has intuition like we said yep. um, and there's a lot of times where you can get that frozen trophy you know you look in the top you see a 13 you stone for a tome there's nothing that person can do to stop you from trophying their model but he's nine stones two ap um, his his bonus creates an ice pillar off of a corpse but for a nine stone model, you know, he, he's definitely su- suffering the action economy game because he has the ability to remove so much agency from the opponent. Yeah. And, and obviously we're not at the counter section of the podcast yet, but um, the, the one thing that um, I learned going up against, I learned it the hard way is, you know, sometimes when you crew build, um, you know, you, you think about, oh, this is going to be a key piece for me, right? This is going to be the, this is going to be the piece that wins me the game. And, And, you know, um, when you are going up against Euripides, you have to be a little smarter about your crew builds going up against Euripides. And you have to say, I can't have one key piece. I need to have I need to have redundancy for the exact reason that we've just talked about, though, Thune can go down to focused fire just like any other model can. Um, And, you know, the the nightmare that you talked about with Euripides pushing the. uh, the pillar that sounds just so horrible um, when we when we when we theory foe, because when we theory foe, we forget about terrain. We forget about, you know, activation orders. We forget about the fact that you're on the table at the same time that Thune and Euripides are. Um, so it does happen. But um, we tend to think it's always going to be always going to happen as a Euripides player. And it's always going to happen against us as the other player. And that's often not the case. Um, so I think that that's significant. I do have another, I have another comment about Thune, actually, if, if that's all right. So my meta figured it out, right? You know, I started playing Euripides. I started pillaring things. They figured out that that was happening. And so I stopped bringing him. 
and then they were overtacking, right? They were bringing all this blow it to hell on, 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 you know, models that weren't really efficient. And, you know, they were bringing all these weak little minions. So they had extra, extra actions. And I just ran a very, um, uh, attrition, like we were saying, right? Waste their actions, waste their actions, waste their actions. And I didn't rely on the trophy. And suddenly they didn't know what to do, right? Like they couldn't count on me bringing that anymore. And that was enough to make it, make it good again. But you, you do not need frozen trophy for this for this keyword to be good. Um, and I, I, yeah. And I think that that's gotten more true as more models for Savage came out. So I think there was a period of time where we, you, you were very limited uh, as a Euripides player because there was some strong models like listen stuff that hadn't come out yet. But now that we've got all the Savage models released and you can buy them and paint them and put them on the table, I think that that changes things considerably. Um, how about you, Lewis? What are, what are some models that we need to get some uh, lip service to when we talk about building a Savage crew? Um, I think there's going to be a pronunciation thing between the US and the UK. It's the the Gayons. Um, I I oh, I love these models. They are they're so they're an eight stone, eight wound, um, minion, and they are a three four six damage track with a two inch engagement range. So good. Yeah. And they've got extended reach, so you just stand them next to your models and you go, well, within two inches of me, you can't take a charge attack. And then you realize they're on a 50 mil base as well, so then, like, that two inches is actually bigger than two inches. Then they... And this is an action that I've used to such effect, and if it catches your opponent off guard, like, you, you have to tell them that it's like it does it. So they can eat ice pillars within four inches of themselves to heal two for every ice pillar they destroy. Now, the amount of times you can bog your opponent in with ice pillars and then they have to focus on this roadblock that's in front of them and then the roadblock just goes and now I heal to full by absorbing everything that was slowing you down. And as I said, it hits like a bus it's three four six it can make you slow on a trigger it can it's got heave or yeet as i like to call it and place you within three inches of itself or if it can kill the model it's got swallow you whole and there's just so much about this model that you just go it's got old ways and frozen vigor so if you can keep it above the article these you you pay for them they're eight stones but they are going to do the work of henchmen from other crews, like beta henchmen. They're going to do the work of them. Yeah. And they, um, you know, that, I think that's thematically what we, you know, know about Savage is the, the models are good. <laughs> the models are good, yeah. but you pay for it. Right. Oh yeah. 100%. And, and, and there's good things about having an elite crew and there, and there's drawbacks to having an elite crew. And one of them has to do with when we get to uh, the next segment about the pools, right? Um, as strong as Euripides is, there are many pools where Euripides is not the best pick as a Neverborn player. Um, and I think part of understanding Neverborn is, is knowing that, um, you know, the other thing that drives me nuts is when I hear about, you know, people complaining that Neverborn isn't very good. And I'm like, well, then you don't have a good Neverborn player in your meta. And if you're that person, then you're not a good Neverborn player because quite frankly, I think Neverborn has some of the most balanced options um, of all the factions. Um, I think that they have got a lot of good options, even post Dreamer Arata and post Serena Arata. Um, I think that uh, there's, it, they remind me a little bit of Arcanists in that way. It's another thing I envy about Arcanists is I think Arcanists also have so many viable options compared to a lot of other factions. 
Um, they're they're a uh, it's a flatter flatter power curve within the faction, which is a good thing, not a bad thing. So, guys, let's go ahead and take a quick. Well, actually, before we do this, you know what? I didn't even talk about uh, upgrades. Um, so, uh, Ambrose, can we talk about upgrades? Yeah, um, they're all good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Speaking, um, speaking of things about never want to piss me off. No, so so this is one that uh, Lewis turned me on to actually. Um, our our black sheep upgrade, Eldritch Magic, is great in this crew. Um, yeah, uh, and it's because of the final veil, right? Something dies, this model heals one. Um, that ping healing with hard to kill is enough. Um, and um, you can put it on Euripides, you can put it on a Garion, you can put it on a Cyclops. Um, I like having it on Cyclopses because of um, uh, the Dispel Magic. I, I do not want Euripides to um, get stunned. It shuts off his Shattering Surprise. Um, it shuts off his Frozen Domain Trigger to create additional Ice Pillars. Um, that's a that's a bad time, and so I like having. Um, if I'm not having Serena, then then I like having Eldritch Magic on a minion for that, for or just another model for for that reason. Um, Ancient Pact uh, works phenomenally with um, with the old ways, right? Drawing more cards is is better when you're able to recycle them. Um, I have put that on Cyclopses as well. Um, I'm also a bigger fan of Gigants than I know Lewis is. Um, so they're the the six. Uh, six-point model. Um, like I said, they've got that shattering surprise trigger so they can cross the board. That's on a bonus action that um, shuts down interact actions within two inches of an ice pillar until the end of the turn. So I'm a big fan of that as a denial piece, right? I could be eight inches away from um, the center or the edge of the board where I know that you have an objective and I can still stop you from interacting there. Um, and that's huge. They also have um, a stat six gun with stunning strike on it, um, an expert shot, and the ability to ignore line of sight. And so, stun is the best condition in the game. Um, so I think it's good. I think um, two giants with ancient packs was one of my first go tos in this crew, and I've, I've kind of you know explored more options since then. Um, but if you're looking for just here's a solid you know, sit back and, and get put damage down. Drawing extra cards is a is a nice crutch for learning this crew. It lets you really see how the old ways works. And and the I like having those ancient packs on the giants so that I can cycle and, and find tomes for my Cyclops. Um, so I, I know I Lewis said ancient pact on the Cyclops before, but but I like having it on a giant so that card can feed the Cyclops. So, uh, Ambrose, is there um, any other Savage models we haven't talked about or maybe even some out-of-keyword models that we uh, that uh, Euripides players are yelling at us right now uh, listening because we haven't mentioned? Um, I think uh, we've talked about the big three minions, but uh, I'm a big fan of Lysa. Um, yeah. They're, uh, I agree. Um, Bring It is phenomenal, and Bring It's on a stat five for a four-point model. It's five willpower, five defense. It's incorporeal. Um. It has Frozen Vigor, so, you know, you can get that shield on it, and now you're stat 5, shielded incorporeal. Um, for 4 points, that can be very hard to put down. I think just having a keyword model at 4 points is a big... And, and it's, it's a significant 4-point model. You know, that's, yeah. that's, you're getting to where you need to go, you're a little, a little hard to kill, um, and you can, you can drop schemes. Um, I, I'd say the biggest thing I'm bringing them for, though, is repositioning Thin. 
um, especially mm. when I'm um, going into like uh, Nakima or um, Von Stuck's Von Stuck can be very hard and a good Von Stuck player is very hard for this to deal with. Um, but the way that you deal with it is, is abusing frozen trophy um, and keep your, keep your Thune safe until they've overextended and then bring, bring Thune in with, with Lysa. Um, so I know, I know Lewis also likes Boltungan in the crew, so he should probably say something about that. Oh yes. Talk to me about Boltungan. Um, I, I do like Boltungan and, um, I, I don't run them often. I tend to only run them in symbols games. Uh, because two Bultungan and then the dam to go in up a flank each, your opponent then just has... Because Bultungan are move six, and if there's two of them running, they can they boost each of um jewels by one because of pack mentality and that sort of thing. And then they can combo with each other. So if one hits and you, you hit a high mask, the other one can hit with coordinated attack, and you can sort of... Anything that comes to stop you to Bultungan. Um The other reason I like them in symbols is because when I remember it, they've got Deadly Pursuit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so you can end like your 12-inch walk and hopefully be within four inches of the symbol. So next turn you can slide in. Um, what I will say going back to it though is uh, Ambrose said I'm not a giant fan of the, the Gigants. I am more of a fan of them now in gaining grounds two with the changes to say like outflank where you're going to need to place a scheme marker now. So I'm going to put an ice pillar there and stop you sort of thing. You can't interact around the table edges and that sort of thing. So I think their stock goes up um, a big way in gaining grounds two. Yeah. And I'll tell you, um, you know, like I said, it's only been out for a couple of days now while we're recording this, but that's another thing that's going to happen in six months from now, guys, is we're going to realize that there's models that we have literally forgot about um, and that suddenly we're going to go, oh, wait a second. And you're going to pull that card out again in the context of getting a couple gaining grounds, two games in your belt. And you're going to go, holy crap, like this, this is really good now. And, you know, you'll have to shake the dust off. Uh, but that's going to take time. Um, and, you know, and, and, and that's OK. That's part of what, you know, this game is a complicated game in a good way. Uh, intricate is a better w- word than complicated. So, guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back from this, Blake, uh, we're going to talk about the pools. Uh, and that includes Gaining Grounds 2. We'll be right back. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. So uh, during the break, uh, Lewis said, oh, Craig, I forgot about something because I steamrolled into the break. So, Lewis, what is uh, what is something key that we need to mention before we move on to the pools? Um, so it was just to bring up a point about what Ambrose was saying about Eldritch Magic. Um, I'm a big defender of it on the forums and on Discord and that sort of thing. A lot of people give me quite a lot of unsubstantiated, no, you're wrong, 
uh, for taking this upgrade. Now, we've gone over the importance of the old ways on uh, Euripides. Now, he's a size 4 model, so when something dies to your freight train crew, you gain a point back off Euripides. Then that's an extra wound for an extra resource for an extra use of the old ways. And it is so... I have I can safely say that I've played close to 100 games of Euripides, and I could probably count on one hand the amount of times I've lost them. Once to English wow. Ivan, once to English Ivan, and I'm not impressed about that, but that's another conversation. <laughs> but I, I, I've had opponents tell me across the table that once they see what Eldritch Magic does and that Euripides is hard to kill in 14 wounds, they just go, well, assassinate is a dead scheme. Yeah. Because, you, okay, you'll score one point for it, but... Then you then you play that in with the the damned, like I was saying earlier, where if something dies out of activation, Euripides heals, then he black bloods damage into the models around him. And if you've got a model on one wound and I kill something else and Euripides heals and then I kill that, he heals another one. Because it's not restricted to once. And I've seen him go from like three wounds back up to four wounds in a turn. And there's there's other crews and models out there that this is true of, but as I think it's especially true, and you make a good point, Lewis, is uh, wounds are an additional resource with this crew. That it's that it's not just what keeps the model on the table; it's what allows the model to use some of its special abilities, right? And it's and it's a it's another resource. So what that turns into is suddenly healing is doing two things. It's it's keeping and I'm well third thing now because they've got all got freaking hard to kill, but um <laughs> it's keeping them on the table. And it's allowing you to flex the old ways even more, which is good for you, bad for your opponent. And there's no other way around. Yeah. So I think that's a great point. Um, so we've got uh, a new pool of strategies, Lewis. And I want to know if you've had a chance to really look at them in the context of of Euripides. Is there um, a particular strategy now that uh, Euripides immediately jumps to the top of the list as as a potential hire? I mean, I, I I've always been a great believer of he can be played into any pool. I think he's that he's got that generalist play style about him that you could bring him to any pool and be comfortable. A, a, apart from what the, the new strategy, I think he might struggle with that. But I still think symbols is symbols and turf war are the are the two go tos for him in this. Um, I, I I've been vocal. I've said that I think the lack of like an outright killing scheme hurts Euripides' uh, strategy, hurts Euripides a little bit because you're a crew of freight trains and you just want to delete models, but I, I'm, I'm definitely symbols and uh turf war. I'm, I'm going with the giants nine times out of 10. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, especially in this pool. Um, and I'm not going to gush about it, but I think these are the collection of the four best strategies we've seen in the game personally. Um, and we'll see if I, if that ends up being a good hot take of mine or not uh, with time tells, but in each one of these, Killing your opponent is a viable option for scoring uh, or denying, right? Um, I mean, the one thing that people forget very easily is denying a strategy point is the same as scoring a strategy point by the nature of how strategy points work. It's not necessarily true of schemes. Um, and uh, killing a model is is viable for winning any of these four strategies. Uh, so unfortunately for Euripides player, you don't get the double up, which is no, no. part of the problem that, you know, I I didn't like about public enemy. Yeah, um, 
I, I think with Break the Line, the, the new one, I think if I'm bringing Euripides, I think I'm playing it to deny it by just shutting the markers off with um, Ice Pillars. I don't think I'm... I, I, I think you might struggle to score like four points from it, where you can comfortably score four points from other strats. I think there's not enough AP to go around in an elite crew sometimes with Break the Line. It, it, it's going to be expensive. Uh, mm-hmm. from a from an action economy standpoint to score all four points in this one um especially if your opponent is is putting any level of effort into denial mm-hmm. um so I, I don't disagree with you at all lewis um so how about you ambrose where uh where do you think euripides uh is the shining star in this new gaining grounds i i do like him for for symbols like like lewis said um i'm gonna would take him in, break the line. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what, what, what does Euripides bring to the table for break the line? Um, so I think that, uh, I think that a, uh, oops, all minions list does work. Um, if you're willing to, to drop Thune, um, yep. and you can hit eight or nine models, most of which have hard to kill. And I think that if you do that, and especially if you lean heavily on the the Garion, um, who of course are extended reach and um, uh, two inch reach, um, you grab two of these markers and and drive them in, and then stop your opponent from getting to you. It's it's uh, I, I think that I think you can get four if you go that route. Um, I've only tried it once and it worked okay. Um, <laughs> so 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 it's something that that I that I might need to work on, right? But but the reason that I that I like it is is all of these, um, you know, as we were saying about the dragons earlier, their um, their efficacy in this packet went up because of all the interacts that are needed across the board, and being able to take my break the line marker and push it forward. And then I have a gigant say, you can't move that one unless you break this marker. If they're already strapped for AP because of everything I'm doing, um, and now they have to break that marker in order to interact and push their little, little bucket, then, um, you know, I think, I think that works out well. Yeah. There's some interesting tools there. And, and, you know, obviously I don't play Euripides, so I could be completely wrong on this, but my other thought is too, is, you know, with, with this strategy, um, I know how I'm going to attack it, which is I'm going to, you know, have models that are set and their job is to move, move markers to gain me points. And then I'm going to hire some models to cause problems, right? Ones that are going to cause problems. What's neat and interesting about Savage is I think that my secondary models I would pick in Savage are going to cause more problems than say my secondary choices in other keywords. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I do think that there's some tech there and some toughness there in Savage that's going to make the, um, make my opponent's life a little bit more difficult. Um, But there's some downsides to it as well. Um, But I do think, you know, and pillars are a part of it too, as part of that denial. Um, I think it's hard to say. I I don't think um, either of you are wrong yet. I think we still need to figure it out. Um, I think we could find a situation where Ambrose, you know, six months from now goes, yeah, what a bad call on my part. (laughs) Or Lewis Lewis could very easily say, you know what, on the on the podcast, I said it was it was bad. And now I'm whooping ass, you know, so we'll see. In in fairness, with what Ambrose just said, I I hadn't even considered the guidance like with the shutting off the and I'm just sitting here going. Oh, no, man, he's right. Like, he's absolutely right. Like, I'm sitting here already and I'm going. Ah oh, man, I didn't see that. So yeah, no, I'm I'm sold on it already. 
yeah, I'm going to beat this damn drum to, to, to <laughs> I, till I get in trouble for it. We, we, we don't freaking know yet. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. like you gotta let this marinate. Even you play testers out there that have been play testing this for four months. Even you guys don't know yet. Um, it's going to take some time. Um, and it's going to take, you know, us getting more games in, um, uh, to, to work through it. Um, how about schemes, Lewis? Are there any schemes when they show up in this new pools that you go, Oh boy, yeah, I'm definitely taking this. Uh, deathbeds and research mission. Like yeah. I'm not even going to like hide that. Like deathbeds and research mission are two of the schemes that I think Euripides does so well. And and yep. Cyclops makes them at least one point is almost an auto point because of the ice pillar drop a scheme marker right next to it. That's now kill something. No problem. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'd had. I mean, it, there was the what first level, but that second level is, is a good point, Ambrose. I hadn't even thought about is that the, then they have the killing power to get that third marker. Yeah, it's it's real. Those two are, and because both of those are in this packet, I think that it's another reason why Euripides is probably going to get more play this season. I think that he's um, most pools are going to have one of those two, and if you hit a pool that has both of them, you just. i know what schemes i'm gonna take you know what schemes i'm gonna take and i'm still gonna score them right exactly (laughs) um i I also want to say on on research mission um i think titania struggles on her second point because she's a lot of times i think she's even more elite than euripides is and and i you know i mentioned before you know leaning into gigants can get you that extra model on the board i think euripides is more likely to have three models at the end of the game to score the second point of research mission. Um, and I think it's a, it's a very good, um, I think it's better for him than it is for Titania. Interesting. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's valid. Um, how about for you, Ambrose, what are some other ones outside of these two that uh, you think are juicy uh, for a uh, savage? If you, if you do like dragons, I think hidden martyrs is great. Um, they're, uh, you know, they're six points and uh, six wounds. They've got the hard to kill thing going on. You're going to lose one period. Um, but if you have two, um, they've got that shattering surprise. So your second one has a much better chance of survival. Um, and, uh, I think that can, that can work out really well. You can also, you know, the, your, your totem is, is significant. You can throw that in there with like a Gary on, um, Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Throw it in with the phone because everybody beelines for the phone and then you're just like, I'm going to keep this support freestone model at the back and everything in your crew costs more. So, Oh, that's a good point. I yeah. hadn't thought about that. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, the first thing I thought about hidden martyrs too, because the first thing is um, having played against freaking savage is like <laughs> there there's, it's real easy to make one model a huge pain in your opponent's ass. Yep. So that even if they weren't planning on putting that model high on the priority list, uh, target priority list, you can force that issue. Yep. Um, and they can either, you know, even if they know or suspect that you've taken hidden martyrs on it, they're in a situation where like, look, I'm going to, I'm just going to have to let them get the points for the scheme because if I don't get rid of this model, I am going to lose this game. Totally. Um, and, and, and it's interesting, um, how you can impose your will 
and this gets into the smaller crew size. It gets into, you know, um, how well the keyword works together. Um, yeah, I, as soon as you said that, Ambrose, I was like, not in my head. I'm like, yeah, yeah I hadn't even thought about that either. Um, I'd be curious, though, Ambrose, if I was playing against Savage. So you declare Savage. I'm at the table. What are some dead schemes? What are some schemes where I just need to go? Look, uh, he declared Euripides, so I'm not picking this as my scheme. Um, I think outflank. And we've mentioned this already, but yeah. um, there's so many ways for Euripides to deny that, um, even if it's just having a gigant on the board and, um, um, and, and you know, throwing a pillar out there and saying you can't interact here. Um, but he's also got, um, so we haven't talked a lot about his actual ice pillar creation, right? But it's a, uh, I think he needs a six to go off. A six, and, um, yeah. A six, yeah. And and so when you create the ice pillar, there's a little pulse. They have to make a TN14 move duel or take two damage. Um, and 14 is really hard for a lot of things. Um, you can stagger stuff with the Cyclopses unresisted on the bonus action. So if you need and to. And with like, the Lissa. Yeah. And with the Lissa, exactly. Um, but so one of the triggers on his ice pillar creation is blown back. So mm. you can, you know, you don't have to be anywhere near that flank of the board and you can drop down an ice pillar with the blown back trigger and, and they're getting pushed off. You can do that with um, his glacial shove as well. And then the TN is uh, 10 plus your stat. No, I've it's, it's, uh, it's, it's card, card plus your stats. Uh, so stat six plus whatever card you flip. Um, yeah. So that might be a 19 yeah. duel, right? No, you're not, yeah. you're not getting that. You can guarantee push something off a point with a glacial shove and, and blown back. And so that that outflank and I think anything that requires positioning, you know, if, if you're trying to get research mission, um, research mission, outflank. Um, I think those are the, the big ones that are just going to be really and, hard. And you've to, got ranged. You've got ranged scheme removal, uh, yes. right? Which which is, again, makes yeah. research mission less less tantalizing as well as a few others. Um, Lewis, is there any other schemes that you would love your opponent to pick when you're playing Savage? Assassinate. Because. Oh, yeah. Right. Because I just I like I said, I it's just personal experience, but he doesn't go down often. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. My opponent will score one point for it. But if you're scoring one point. I don't think you're going to score the second uh, claim jump as well, because a lot of this mm. crew, a lot of this crew has bigger engagement ranges, so you can deny points and you can jam it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you could just stop them from getting to the center with ice pillars. You know, I've I've played games where they don't cross the quarter line of the board because I I don't let them. And if they've taken claim jump and they never get to the center, that's real hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's very board dependent. But, you know, if, if you see claim jump in the pool and you're like, I know I can deny that, that's a great Euripides pool. That's great. So, guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to get to everybody's favorite part of a deep dive. We're going to talk about second level play and then how to counter this crew. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Greg here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. 
Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend all one word t-h-i-r-d-f-l-o-o-r-f-r-i-e-n-d you'll get a five percent discount and help support the podcast it's valid on everything except retail products and play mats i think every keyword has second level play um so don't don't misinterpret what i'm about to say um but i think it is especially true uh, with this crew. And, and, and it's not just, um, you know, hidden strengths, which we're going to talk about, but I think it's practice. I think in order to be effective with Euripides, you need to get games with Euripides in. And believe it or not, I think you need to get games with Euripides in when you don't even have another opponent at the table. I think you need to pull the models out and you need to practice with Euripides um, to be well at it. So Ambrose, let's talk about second level play. So once you got 10, 15, 20 games of Euripides in, and uh, what did you figure out about Savage that wasn't apparent at the beginning? I think we, we, we've talked about the old ways a lot, right? But managing that is the most important thing. And I realized probably around that 10 game mark that I was winning games when I'm using it the most. And in, mm. in, in Vassal, it's really easy, right? You're, uh, it's really easy to see when it's going off a lot because you can't move it to the bop- bottom of the discard pile, so you're putting it in this removed from game pile. So when I'm seeing, like, seven cards there at the end of the turn, I look at the board and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I won this turn, right? Like, this turn swung in my favor. Um, and it's, it's because the old ways is kind of a fortune multiplier. Um, you know, that that really bad feeling when your opponent flips um, severe on a, on a neg flip, right? For Savage, that's even worse um, because now that's another severe that they're flipping. You know, they, they, they didn't even, they didn't waste that second severe. They get to flip it again. Um, and setting up as much as possible to maximize those moments um, is, is very important. And, there is a thing that you need to know when not to do it. Um, but you're, you're looking for opportunities to let the deck swing your way. Um, and, and those are where your blowouts come from, right? Like there are some games that people play against at Savage and it just, nothing goes their way because, you know, because I flipped 15 severes when there's 12 in the deck, you know, that's, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a huge thing. And, you, you, you know, this is why intuition is so good in the context. You know, you, you are fishing for that red joker on yep. Euripides or on Thune. Like if you've, you're halfway through the game, and you haven't seen your red yet. There's a decent chance it's in the top three cards. Let's try and set that up. Well, and you're going to get double duty out of it, too, right? Exactly. Because, because of, you know, what we've been talking about. And here's something, too, I think, for people to keep in mind. This took me a little while to realize is... um you got to pay attention to the top of your opponent's deck when you're mm-hmm. playing against Euripides. And it's easy to to not do that because it's going it, it has to impact on your activations what you're going to do. Yep. So if you're if you're thinking, you know, yeah, I need to go in and I need to take this model out. Pay attention, um, not only before you make that decision, but while you're making that decision. So we'll often we'll charge, do our first attack and go, OK, all right, I'm going to just attack again. Well, Check the top of the deck. Right. Look at the top of the deck. Maybe that's not the move. Um, and I think that's super important. How about for you, Lewis? What, what are some things that are hidden inside a Savage that maybe we haven't talked about yet or people aren't going to see at first? 
Um, again, it, it it does come back to like the old ways, but beware the Euripides player that has got ancient pact in his crew, right? Because and uh, anecdotal evidence here, obviously, but I I played a game in one of the Vassal events, the uh, the March one. My opponent, we were in wedge. I my crew was all basically at the point of wedge, and he first activation of the game dropped a shockwave marker into the middle of the Euripides crew and it was like a target number 12 move jewel and I'd flipped like a 8 for initiative and I just went okay every single one of my models is going to take a point of damage to pass this jewel because the effects of the shockwave are worse right. so I was like so and he was like but how can you do that I was like because this is the only card in my discard pile yeah. So I was like, so I'm just going to cycle it round until I get back to this model that isn't Savage, and then I'll flip a card. Yeah. And he was like, sure. But if I flip high on an initiative flip and I've got Ancient Pact in the crew, sure, Ancient Pact is annoying because I'm counting as plus one for my initiative. But if I flip a high card or cheat a high card in to beat your severe card, you can guarantee that one of the first activations, that high card is about to become the swing yeah. For whatever model I need to get the use out of. And it just tumbles from there. Even the initiative phase is something you need to take it's into consideration against Euripides. Because if you, the Euripides player wins, and it's a high card, and if it's a tome, you know what Euripides is doing. Or you yep. know what. If it's like a 13 of tomes and your master's engaged with Foon, like, resign yourself to that master is going into an ice pillar. It doesn't even matter what the intuition is at that point. And I would imagine, and tell me if I'm wrong here, guys, that part of the second level play is learning to be nimble as a Euripides player, because it sounds like, you know, your flips could could change what your activation order is, can change what actions you're going to do based off of high or low flips and how much you're going to be able to utilize or not utilize old ways. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, yeah. I, and I think it's one of the hardest things to... This is probably the, the biggest second-level play because you yeah. need to know when is changing your activation order worth it yeah. and when is it not. Um, and it's the value of the card and the suit of the card and, and where the threats are on the opponent's side of the board. Um, you know, if 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 you, you get a good trigger off with your old ways but you lose Thune before he activates, you know, maybe that's not worth it or, or maybe it is. And, and this is universal to Malifaux, right? But adding adding the top of your discard pile as another factor in that decision-making process is what makes this hard and is what makes this strong. No, I, I completely agree. So I'd be interested uh, to know, Ambrose, um, what is something I could do at the table or something I could bring to the table that's going to make you go, ah, shit? Um, so I think even more than Ice Pillar Destruction brings stuff to get around hard to kill. Um, Ice Pillar Destruction is good, right? And and obviously, if you've got like Sidir or Mad Dog and you can bring a cheap model that does it well, Soulstone Miners have, you know, pop up, blow it up. Great, 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 great. And we don't need to talk about how good blowing up destructible terrain is against this crew, right? It's it's fine. Just don't overtech for it. And And the stuff that really drives me nuts is Onslaught and Precise or, um, you know, ping damage that you could like black blood right you can you can come in get something down to the hard to kill and then without wasting extra resources kill that model that is the hardest thing for the Euripides player to deal with in my experience 
How about for you, Lewis? What are some things that um, that just make our Euripides' life harder? Um, I I agree with everything Ambrose just said, but I think the biggest way to give the Euripides player a sad is just put terrifying in your crew. Oh, interesting. Interesting. It, it's just like, I've got this 13 here on top of my discard pile. My hand's not great. I want to use that 13 to hit, to hit you, but if I have to take a duel before that, I'm flipping the card and getting rid of the 13. So then do yep. I use the 13 to pass the horror duel to maybe just miss the attack anyway? Ter- terrifying yep. is genuinely like the worst thing you can see across the board, in my opinion. I don't think I would have thought of that. And it makes a shit ton of sense. It really, really does. I mean, uh, I've said this a million times. I think terrifying is an unbelievably good underrated ability. Um, and it doesn't feel like you don't feel it when you're when you're a player that has terrifying. It doesn't feel as good as it is. Ask your opponent at the end of the battle. What did they think of terrifying? And trust me, they, they effing hated it. But it's, and, and even, it's almost multiplied with uh, against uh, Savage. Yeah, I, I think I think that experience that you just described is is multiplied. Like the terrifying player might even feel like it's less effective because because I'm cheating in a card for terror. Like I cheated my thirteen for terrifying, and then I old ways it, and it feels like I'm just getting around it. But it's not. That's a resource that I didn't want to spend that way, um, and it it really it makes you use the old ways a lot more. It melts your models a lot more. It it it. it t- it makes hard pressure that normally you don't have to deal with. Very, very interesting. Now, how about on the defensive side, uh, Ambrose, is um, something that's something that's forcing flips like shockwaves and stuff like that. Is that also something that you worry about or is like, eh? It depends on what it is. Um, yeah. A lot of times, like, I think I think the hardest place to be in is, is a shockwave that's just like two damage, right? Because... Um, you know, you can get into that situation, like Lewis said, where, okay, I'm just going to take one damage instead. And, and that's fine. Um, you know, you can, but if, if you do pressure enough that there's a three on the top of the, the discard pile and we have to make these flips, it, it can do it. I think it's, it's much more situational. I don't necessarily think it's better or worse than any other one. Now, Ambrose, for you, um, where does terrain come into play when you're thinking about whether you're going to take Euripides or not? Is Does it ever factor in um, whether Euripides is going to get picked or not picked? Definitely. Um, I, I don't want an open board. Um, and I think this is this is where people looked at him and said, oh, I'm not going to be able to get around boards. And, um, I, you know, there, too much clutter on the board is bad for Euripides, all these 50 mils. And I just think that's wrong. And this is where, you know, practice comes in. You have to know how to unpack him. You have to know which models can fit where um, at the start of the game. Uh, But with the ice pillars that you're bringing down, um, the actions that you're already trying to waste on their turn, the more that you could disrupt that, the better. And I have tools to get around my ice pillars. I can teleport to them with Shattering Surprise. I can turn my models incorporeal. I can eat them with Garyon. And my opponent you know, has to tech to, tech, it. to has to tech to it. Right. And that's, even if they do tech to it, that means they're teching something unless they took Soulstone Miner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times they have to tech something that's not ideal. And, and that's, that's a good situation to be in. And you can really pack them into their deployment zone and make them work to get out. If you, um, if you ID a good board and, and play it well. 
Luis, anything anything else that we need to make sure we talk about here as far as counters or uh, second level? Or uh, did we cover it? I I think on the counter side, another thing that can make, as well as uh, terrifying, that can make Euripides sad is armor, because he does does rely on his high damage tracks, and I've played games where I've just bounced off the Freikorps. It's just like, I'm going to throw everything I can at this, and it's just, uh, yeah, okay, nothing's stuck. Um, Terrain, yeah, the more choke points on the board for Euripides, the better for me. The only time I'll ever consider the terrain is if it's corner deployment, because then I'm like, I don't want to put all these 50 mil bases and my opponent is the attacker, and they just go, look at that, it's full of buildings, you can't... um, you you can't deploy half your models properly or yeah. in a in a way that is going to benefit you. Um, you need that flexibility. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I do want to say is that if you are up against a Euripides player, um, because we have to use the we can use the top card of our discard pile. Please give us a chance to decide whether we're doing it or not, because the amount of time, because <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times in like real life tournaments, my opponent's just gone. I've got like a, say like a 10 where it's like, okay, I might use that. Let me just quickly decide. And then my opponent's gone, I'm on 14. And it's like, well, I know that if I flip that 10 now, I'm on 15. But then I look like a jackass for saying I'm going to do yeah. it. So yeah, I'm just, you're, you're helping the Euripides player is what yeah, you're so, so it's like, it's like, please just give me two seconds to decide if I want to use this card and then, then flip because I want That's to, funny. I want to keep it fair for both of us. So. That's a good point. And that, that's that's definitely come up for me too. Where exactly the same situation, right? Like they flip, and I'm like, "Well, you literally gave me half a second, and I'm just gonna pass this now." Because yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I don't know what I was gonna decide, but it was definitely on the table. So that's how you counter them. Don't 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 make their life easier. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> slow, slow the hell down. That's More really make funny. Them make that decision for sure. <laughs> so before we close out, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I've got uh, both of these uh, good players and good guys on. Um, real quick, Ambrose, I want um, uh, a lightning round. I want to hear what you liked the most about the Errata and what scared you the most or you were most skeptical about. So first off, what did you think was uh, kind of the, the the biggest thing that you think was needed and you were glad to see? I, <laughs> I'm glad that I can play Dreamer without feeling guilty. <laughs> um, and, and actually, same with Serena. I don't like that yep. feeling of, of going into a, a crew and having somebody tell me, why didn't you take Serena? And, and them being right, right? Like, objectively, <laughs> there was, <laughs> there's no reason not to take Serena before this, this patch. And and maybe that maybe it was a little too far. Who knows? Um, I know some people are upset about how hard she was hit. Some people think that she's just as good. Um, I don't know. I'm just happy that it's a it's a decision that I have to make now, and but, instead well, of not. And the reality is, is that she's not going to be taken every time. And that was part of the problem, right? So yeah, when you say, you know, I used to take her all the time, but now I'm not going to take her all the time. I'm like, well, that's a success then. That's exactly. kind of the idea. Um, exactly. And I think that um, we might be surprised, especially with some of these schemes where she comes back again, where suddenly she becomes a really good pick. So I'm with you. Um, which one were you kind of scratching your head about that maybe um, you're, you're a little questioning? So there's there's a couple things that I think they took. And I don't want to criticize the designers. So I think there were a couple of misses where they they brought things down for power reasons. 
mm-hmm. that hurt the one cool thing about a master. Um, and in particular, I think I think that Dreamer was one, and I think Levy was the other. Like I said, I'm glad that Dreamer got toned down so that I can play him. But I I'm sad that they they removed his one cool thing to do that, and instead, you know, it's probably to save printed cards, right? Like I think attacking all the minions, re- change the lucid dream action would have let it still do that cool ramp mechanic um, in a more balanced way. Um, and instead they took a, an easier approach and just said, for balance reasons, this is what we're doing. And I think Levy, Levy is similar where, uh, especially on his channel, right? He can no longer burn through his entire health pool in a turn to put out all this irreducible damage. And I think that was his one cool thing that he can't do anymore. Um, so I think those are balance wins. I think they've achieved what they were trying to do balance wise. And they took, they filed away their spiky bits um, and I, I just wish that they were leveraging their 21st century tools a little bit better. And, you know, I, most people are relying on this app to get their 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 um, cards. Um, yeah. You know, you, you don't need to balance this game like it's 1975. No, I, I, think that's, I think that's legitimate. Um, what will be interesting to me is the 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 punch that Dreamer got and the punch that Levy got um, was to attack their cool thing to your point, Ambrose. You're, I don't think anybody can argue that. What'll be interesting to see is if we see a new play style emerge, right? Whether we see a different layer to Dreamer and a different layer to, to Levy, um, or not. It might be that they just, you know, they, they end up, you know, not, not popping up as much. Uh, how about you, Lewis? What do you think was uh, a big win, uh, for the errata? Colette. Bye. Bye, Colette. <laughs> <laughs> So we have video on and by no means am I nodding and agreeing with you. That's not what's <laughs> happening right now. Um, yeah, uh, I, I have uh, anybody who is in who listens, who is in any part of the UK, like Discord or that or who was in the messenger group. You, you, you all have seen a time where I have in full caps rage just wrote fucking presto changeo as an ability. I have lost models to that that I felt like I just never should have lost Um, but yeah the Colette is uh, for me is a good change Yan Lowe was a good change I I don't think anybody argues that I agree yeah Um, touching on Ambrose's point about the Dreamer I've seen a lot of online uh, upset about him not being able to summon Stitched anymore um, but what people have to remember is that is also a future proofing in case they want to give Dreamer any new construct toys, they can balance them in a way that you don't have to worry about them being summoned. Um, I'm not, I'm obviously not privy. I don't know if that's what they want to do, but just look at that as a future proofing and understand that you could get cool toys in the future that you don't want Dreamer summoning because it would feel bad again. Um, well, and it would stop that it would stop you from having him as an option. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, hey, spoiler alert, you can still hire stitched. Yeah. And I mean, the Widow you, Weaver you still. still yeah. The Widow Weaver. <laughs> Widow Weaver right, can still summon it. Yeah. Widow Weaver does it better anyway. But um, one thing. And again, I'm same as Ambrose. I don't want to criticize uh, weird because I love everything they do. But you can't do what you did to Colette Von Stuck and I don't under, I'm like with Ambrose I don't understand the Levy one mm-hmm. but why is Ophelia still running away around the way that Ophelia is running around she is honestly my biggest bugbear of this game at the moment master wise so uh, 
Lewis, it's very funny. This is the first time you've been on the show, and and uh, it was like the first time I had Ambrose on the show. It was like after I got off the show with Ambrose the first time, I'm like, I agree with Ambrose on a lot of things. <laughs> You're now in that category, Lewis. Um, <laughs> like, Ophelia, I don't understand why people don't talk about her more. I think Ophelia in the right hands is is really really good, yeah. and in great hands. She's devastating. So it's very funny that you mentioned her. My problem is that she's good in bad hands as well. Like, yeah, the, the, she's forgiving. Yeah, yeah. There's no. There's like, like we've said for Euripides, the learning curve for how to use old ways and that sort of stuff is steep. Ophelia's looks like a flat line. It's like yeah. you can you can be bad actively bad at this game and still win games with Ophelia because her, her <laughs> there's, crew there's does that much. Right now. I'm telling you right now, Lewis, a good number of people listening right now do not agree with us on that. And and I, I think they're wrong. I think that I think that she is very, very good. And I think that for whatever reason, she just isn't isn't getting played as much. Um, and maybe this maybe that'll change. I don't know. But it was just like uh, it's, it's because they don't want her to change. They're trying to keep that source secret. <laughs> that's exactly what bastard. they're just, That's exactly what they're doing. They're just going. That's so funny. If we don't play it, they won't know to change it. So <laughs> now go, go back and listen to my the deep dive with Ophelia, and you can hear me just going, <laughs> "Son of a bitch, man!" I mean. She's good. She's good. So that's great. Well, gentlemen, I really appreciate it. Uh, Ambrose, it was great to have you back. Lewis, it was great to have you on. Um, I will definitely uh, figure out ways to get you both on again. Uh, Lewis, um, any shout outs or plugs you want to get in? Um, I just want to give a shout out to um, my best friend, Kai, who does a lot of good work for the Malefic community. He's him that created Bagger Tools. Mm -hmm. And he's been working... uh, non-stop to sort of deal with issues um when he's still working through the pandemic so and also just want to give him a shout out because i know that bag of tools 2 is coming oh i did not know that and uh, a sneaky spoiler for some of the listeners is that bag of tools 2 will be fully offline so that oh that's huge so that uh, venues that don't have great that's internet connections are able to be using and running bag of tools. Kai is one of those unsung heroes, right? I, I, there's there's a certain people um, that have been unsung heroes in Malifaux. I consider I've always considered Kai one of them. Um, uh, it, it, it he is he's, it is thankless work. Um, even when we thank him, we don't thank him enough because bag of tools is has has been a great great tool um, for all of us to have. So yeah, shout out to Kai for me as well. Um, how about you, Ambrose? Any shout outs or uh, plugs? Um, I second everything for for Kai. Um, like I said earlier, I've been part of the World Series committee for for the Vassal events, and um, bag of tools has been. You know, it's a, it's an amazing tool, um, and he has actively worked with us to make sure that we know how to set it up right. Um, you know, it's a little bit different when you're doing a, a month long event, and um, just recently he jumped through some hoops to give us some better drop features. Um, so you know, he's he's you know he's he's not necessarily on Vassal a lot, but he's uh, going above and beyond to support the community. So with the drop features, he didn't he wasn't aware that there was a time scale for it, and he was just like, "Oh, so when do you need me to do this for Lou?" And I was like, "I don't know, like three hours ago." And he was like, <laughs> "He was like, oh, you sound like my boss from work." I was like, "Cool." I was just about to say, "He's a dev. He's wicked used to that. He's wicked used to that." And he, he, uh, that was at like three o'clock in the afternoon on the Monday, and then by like seven p.m. our time Monday night, he messaged me and he was like, "Right, 
test that it's working for me. And it was it was sorted. So well, you know who else is an idiot this way? Um, and I mean that in the nicest possible way is DZ is the same way, uh, who makes uh the Malifaux app. Um he he was he was um how do I, I don't actually, I'm not going to mention that he, he's it, it's thankless work that DZ does as well um, in many ways. Well, and, he, gets, and DZ, he gets pestered so much by people in this community and he handles it like a champion. And, and, and for those of you that are that don't know DZ, um, he, he cares about that app more than he should is probably the best way to put it. Um, and he he really does. And it shows um, I've, I've tooted his horn a few times, but um, I have yet to see a mini game with the app that we have mm-hmm. um in fact i would argue that if you are talking to people about malifaux and trying to get them into it just have them download the app and, and they're gonna regardless of what they're playing now they're gonna go holy crap <laughs> like this is this is amazing um i i, I, we, I we're spoiled i do feel sorry for him with the new hiring rules though with the masters like he's <laughs> he, he's got a, he's got a thankless project coming there and yep. I just, I, 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 I don't know him, so my like respect goes out to him for everything he gives us with the app as well. No, no, I agree, and it, um, and see what's cool about DZ is that well, it's or psychotic depending on how you look at, it, <laughs> is it, 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 he's going to do it because it's just going to bug the shit out of him, right? Like he's he's got a pride in his work that I think shows. So um, yeah, uh, so Kai, Kai and DZ, you're the stars of the Savage Keyword Deep Dive, apparently. <laughs> um, but uh, if you're not Kai and you're not DZ and you listened all the way to the end, um, I appreciate you listening. Uh, take care. Hey, did you hear that? You leveled up. You finished another episode of Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you want more from the third floor, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Head on over to our YouTube channel. It is packed with painting tutorials, gaming tips, battle reports, and role-playing actual plays. Did you enjoy this episode? Why don't you send a link to one of your friends so they can enjoy it too? Last but not least, write us a review on your podcatcher of choice. This helps us find listeners almost as cool as you. Um, this is, and this is a good thing. Um, we've covered a lot of both of this already. Um, so I think that we can keep this, uh, shorter than we normally have. Yeah. Um, I like it when these things are peppered throughout the, um, uh, episode. So good job on that. Um, we'll start with you, Lewis. Um, yeah. let's talk about some things. Uh, you know, what second level play is. I don't need to explain it to you. All right. I'll get us started. Uh, within the crew as well so that becomes a double whammy give me just one second guys what's what's up bub sorry about that guys no, fine. i love that I, I, roll of, I, I roll of dad's doing malifaux stuff again yeah. <laughs> it's like, dad are you recording again that's why i say I, I mitigated that minor it's my it's my nephew's birthday so i kicked the wife out of the house i was like go go, go see our nephew i was like i'm recording <laughs> yeah um, all right i'll bring us back i apologize no you so now that we've got a you know a better sense of your good first segment gents thank you i'll probably start with you ambrose um and then we'll just bounce back and forth and just talk yeah um how much do you want me to like um 
read off abilities and what they do like i, I guess that's not a whole okay. lot um just because people can have the cards yep. you know people can read the cards um you know it um the idea is is you know someone i want someone listening to be able to walk away understanding euripides not being able to recite right euripides does sure. that make sense yep mm-hmm. totally all right You still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.